0: the the self sufficiency program right so we look at the rent for the property and we make sure that it can cover the mortgage so it's a it's a, it's a great program down payment requirements are going to be a little bit higher but it's a great program for, for people that are investors that want to purchase the property
1: what's up welcome to the you knows the best spot i appreciate your support in return i hope i provide you with some worthwhile gems that benefit you on your journey at the very least i hope i put a smile on your face if not hopefully you share this with someone that does benefit and i got you next time again thanks for joining today and let's get this thing going all right welcome to another episode of the human knows best pod you can be anywhere in the world but you're here with me so i appreciate y'all uh on this pod plan to give you the truth the whole truth nothing but the truth well as best as i can so help me god so i'm your host uber smith uh today we'll be diving back into uh, the world of laws, rapes, and everything that makes lenders tick. This is the second part of a two-part series on how to get the best lending options for your home, whether it be residential, like single-family or multi-family, uh, meaning multiple units. So I want y'all to get ready for some tips and uh, valuable insights from a great guest we have today, Mr. Terrence Terrell of Monitor Financial Group. Terrence is the VP of Lending there. He's here to add information that we got last week and ha- help shed some light on uh, all the aspects of lending and good, bad, or, or indifferent. So welcome, Terrence.
0: Thank you for having me. I am. I'm looking forward to contributing and adding and, and helping as many people as possible get in the homes because that's a beautiful thing.
1: So, Terrence, before we get going, you know, give give the the audience uh, a little bit of your background so they know just you know how dope you are as a person.
0: So um I've been in residential financing for the last five years. Prior to that, I was a personal trainer for many, many years. The transition was smooth and seamless. It's a very different industry, but you know the idea and, and concepts behind both are the same. I I meet many individuals, and they come to me with goals and aspirations that I help them get there. Same thing with personal training. You know, as as I've applied into real estate, so I enjoy helping people achieve goals. It's it's what I do. It's interesting how you
1: and my past guest Janita Herndon like ended up in your roles, she started off at Victoria's Secret as a manager. So like both of you guys don't come from like finance backgrounds or things like that, but to uh, end up where you are, that's super dope. Let's jump right in. When you're thinking about this as a as a individual that's looking to purchase property, whether it be, like I said, whether it be a single family home or multi-unit property, what are some things that people should be doing uh, or they should take, what steps should they be taking before reaching out? to a lender.
0: I mean, realistically, I'd say the first thing they should do is reach out to a lender because what I see a lot is, you know, and think about it from, you know, my analogy is always car sales. People always go to a lot, look at cars they're online looking at cars. They do the same thing for homes, look at homes, go to open houses before they figure out what all their numbers look like. Having that initial call with a lender up front is the first thing someone wants to do. The few things that someone can do even before placing that call is, is know what their personal numbers are. And what I mean by those is their comfort level when it comes to where they want their monthly payment. For the most part, people are paying rent, you know, unless it's their first place and maybe living at home, whatever the situation may be. But they kind of know what they're comfortable paying monthly. And our job is to make numbers match. We want to make sure that the number that you give is both comfortable but also realistic. Someone tells me they want their monthly mortgage payment to be $1,000. Depending on what they're putting down, we're probably not looking at $500,000 homes. So we want to make those numbers make sense. So that's what we do when we're qualifying somebody, but, you know, you kind of want to have that general idea. Some people want to, you know, are comfortable paying a couple of bucks more than they're paying in rent for a mortgage because you own it. You're building equity. So those numbers may be a little bit different, but then also the second number has got to be comfort level when it comes to cash on hand. How much are you comfortable parting ways with and then coming out with a home? You know, if you have X number of dollars saved up, we probably don't want to use all of it after you buy all of everything then falls on you you want to make sure you have something saved and put away for a rainy day those are the things that we want to know okay i have x saved but i'm comfortable using this much of it those are the things that you're going to want to know in that initial call but other than that add that first fall call before you start looking at homes
1: that's definitely an interesting perspective i think i did it both ways you know like i i looked at homes and then said okay this is how much money I, i i'm willing to spend or this is how much of the loan I want to do, and then other times I was like, let me see how much I can get pre-approved. It's it's definitely a different a way of thinking and different approach it, that can save you some some of a headache. Yeah, so I, I definitely understand. Absolutely, that. different lenders, different like you. I, I must you work for uh, a mortgage brokerage, right? And my last guest worked for a bank, so. From your perspective, you know, what are the five things that you guys are working for from the mortgage brokerage side?
0: They should be about the same because when originating mortgages, you know, a conforming loan, it's gonna have to fit certain guidelines. Right. Those guidelines are set forth by, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. So the things that we look for should be the same. We look at income, employment, right? So the biggest thing we want to look at or find out is does someone have the ability to repay? That's thing number one. If you don't have the ability to repay, gate blow. You know, so and that's for, you know, more important. Do you, <laughs> can you have income, usable income. That's also something that we want to make sure that we can take a look at because we need to look at employment history. So depending on how you're paid, that's going to determine whether or not we can use the income. You are a full-time salaried employee. We use your full-time salaried amount. You know, if you're a part-time employee. We average it. We need a two-year history of it. You work full-time or you just got a part-time job, which is great. You can use that income. You can count that in your expenses and your calculations, but you you just got a part-time job because it's going to help out a couple weeks ago. We can't use that income. That's what I mean by usable income. Someone that is self-employed, two-year history, you know, because there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there, people that start their own businesses and they do well, which is great but we need to make sure that that's going to continue that's what you know the guidelines are looking for they want to make sure that this income is going to continue so it's averaged over two years
1: yeah it makes sense you know uh i'm in sales and so like the the two times i bought property i'm on commission so they're like okay so what's your average over the last two years i'm like I mean, it's going correct mean, like i promoted at that time I, the first time i bought a house i had just gotten promoted uh like a month before that so the income that i was bringing in was like what would be vastly different uh year i definitely understand that all right so that's the usable income income is clearly important right you got to be able to pay
0: you know another thing we look at is credit score credit score is going to determine several things it's going to determine um your interest rate it's going to determine how high we can take your debt to income ratio, which is something, you know, another thing we'll talk about. Um, You know, it's going to help determine if you're, you know, putting down less than 20 percent, it's going to help determine your mortgage insurance. Credit score is important. All these things kind of lead into what I said previously is have the conversation with the lender. first. As soon as you're thinking, I need to buy a home, make that call. You know, one thing that a lot of people don't think about is, can I source where the funds came from? Every dollar that's used in a purchase transaction has to be sourced. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have some money laid around the house and you're depositing it and, in, in, you know, into your bank account, we need to know where it came from if it's a sizable amount, because what we look for is large deposits. We're looking at FHA financing. They have a 1% rule. No. So, if it exceeds 1%, if the, the deposit amount exceeds 1% of that price, that's a large deposit. We have to source it. That's why I this conversation early because we need to know, okay, are there deposits on here that we need to source? Do we need to, you know, this funds need to season it for a while before we can use them? You know, are we, are we going to be, because what we look at, we look at a two month history of bank savings. That's something that we look at that a lot of people don't think about. They just figure, oh yeah, here's some cash. I got, you know, some money from a family friend or somebody paying pay me some money back. We didn't know where it came from.
1: Uh, like I had to have my mom write me a gift letter on the first house just because she gave me some money towards the house. And I was like, they were like, well, no, you gotta, you gotta have her write a letter saying this is a gift that you don't got to pay back. And I was like, "Okay, hey, I guess <laughs> it's my mom
0: yep. living in the house, but okay. Exactly. So, uh, and everything has to fit in a box. Right. Has to pass those guidelines, you know, it has to pass the slip test. You know, a, another thing would be a co-signer, co-bar, multiple people in the finance. If there are multiple people in the finance, because this is something that people always ask about, you know, if their credit score may be a little bit lower or if they need some help with income. You know, can I add someone else onto the financing? Yes, but there's a couple things that people, some people, don't know when adding someone else. They're 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 a full-on borrower on your loan. It's not someone that's just you know passively on it where they have no responsibility for it. We're fully qualifying them as well. They're on the loan, even if they're a non-occupied co-borrower. We qualify them. Same standards apply: credit, income. We look at debt-to-income ratio, and when there's multiple people in the financing, we will use the lower of the two credits. Yeah, I didn't even know that. that yeah, that's one thing that a lot of people didn't know, you know, so I, I get asked that question a lot. You know, my mom or my friend or, you know, my spouse, my partner, they have higher credit score. Let's add them on, it'll help. I'm like, well, we can use their income, yes, but we will still use the lower of the two scores.
1: Which makes sense. I mean, you're not going to put someone on there with a worse, lower, worse credit score than you, right? Uh, but you're the person that's paying. So we need to know what's going on cheap, right? So yeah, it makes sense.
0: that's about it. I mean, like I said ability to be paid, credit score, debt to income. Did I, did I talk about debt to income?
1: You mentioned it. We didn't really
0: well, talk. Let's talk about it. All right, so let's, let's talk about it. So debt to income, that is your monthly obligation versus your monthly income when qualifying and this is how you know people say how how much am i pre-approved for this is how we figure that out we pre-approve you for a monthly payment and then from that monthly payment we work backwards to figure out a purchase price but we need to make sure that and you know this number is going to depend on credit score it's going to depend on the program but we need to make sure that your debt to income ratio your monthly obligations meaning minimum credit card payments car payments student loan payments plus your housing payment uh-huh. does it exceed about 47% of your monthly income. Depends on the program, depends on the credit score, but that's going to be about an average. I mean, in financing, we can actually take it up to 49% FHA, probably up to about 55, but it depends. Everybody's situation is different.
1: This is just something from my own experience. Make sure uh, if you're going to pay debt down, that you pay down the debt that is actually affecting you the most. So like you can ask the lender or the bank, what monthly expenses about do I have coming out that you, is really affecting that score because you might think paying off a certain amount might help you and it won't. I, I take it take my own take it from personal experience, paying off the wrong Absolutely. reduce that number if it's not the number that they're saying is your largest monthly debt.
0: It's not necessarily that it's not the total debt. Right. It's the monthly payment.
1: So I appreciate definitely appreciate that information. So taking this step further, when you're you know looking at lending from a bank uh versus someone like you guys what what's the real difference there uh, i know from my experience like on this past home i worked with two larger banks uh one of those banks was not very local so like i there was a lot of red tape there's a lot of things they weren't aware of whereas when i went through the local um uh mortgage brokerage they they had they were aware of all the programs they had different things that they were looking at okay. so uh could you kind of give me a little bit give us a little bit more detail
0: on that the two big things are going to be products and specialization generally speaking companies that specialize in only mortgages have access to multiple products multiple programs whereas someone that works with a bank has one set of products people that work with you know brokerages and specialized standalone mortgage companies have access to different wholesale lenders have access to their own lines of credit so you know, we can have access to 10, 15 different lenders and products. Banks have one. If they're local, they know the area. They know what programs are available for, you know, certain areas, certain certain uh, income tracks, certain zip codes. You know, a, a lot of lenders lend in multiple states. I do as well. But, you know, those that specialize in certain areas are going to have to leg it up because they know the ins and outs of the market. You know, they know. And, just like any industry it's i don't want to call it a small community but it's a tight community so you see the same names over and over so you may have the competitive edge when it comes to having an offer accepted as well i have had clients that have won offers you know i'm not that big of a deal i'm not anything special but i've had clients that have won offers because of my name i know the listing agent because i've worked with the listing agent i've gone to networking events with the listing agent or as you know they networked with me somehow in the past so a combination of myself and their buyer's agent being local they say, great, okay, this is an offer coming from, you know, Terrence and, you know, so-and-so agent. We'll take this one over the other one because we know it's going to get done.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing is, like, understanding who your loan officer is that you're working with. Like, I, in my in my most recent experience, my loan officer was actually, like, behind me as far as, like, time zone. So, like, that was throwing out mm-hmm. information and all this. And they had how you social communicate via, like, an email, like, a online portal. And I was like, bro, just call them. Like, call me send me a regular email like you're not responding i don't know how many deals
0: you're doing right now like this is this is not a great experience uh and it's actually you want to work with someone that's available and helpful realistically i mean my clients text me this
1: is actually one of my banks that i bank with so it's actually it almost made me like close my bank account with them just because of that experience it was like this is ridiculous I get it all right cool so like kind of segue into that like like I, I, bank with multiple banks, um, but I also understand sh- shopping for deals. Like I'm in software sales as my full time job, so I have customers always trying to leverage this vendor is offering this and what have you, right? So, like, what is your experience or like, uh, what are your thoughts around people shopping their shopping for rates or like or even trying to get better rates than what they're initially offered?
0: That all comes back to the pre approval process. That's when you do that. You know, I mean, I fully expect people to have conversations with other lenders. You know, I'm not the only one in the world. I I do the best I can to earn their business. But, you know, I fully expect those conversations to be had. But you want to have those conversations at the time of pre-approval. You want to, the lender that issues the pre-approval that you're submitting your offer with should be your work. It all depends on timing as well. I mean, I have people that have been looking for homes for months. That initial interest rate we talked about months ago is not going to be current. You know, the, the big thing would be just have the conversation before you submit your offer. You know i do my pre-approvals property specific for that reason you know we'll talk about okay you're qualified for x amount go shopping three months later we've submitted a few offers it's time to submit another one i update the pre-approval with that property address with where the current market is because those change and we have the conversation based on the current market and your situation here's where rates would be from a timing perspective like if you only
1: have like 30 to 60 days to close like in my situation i had like less than a month to close so like i did not have time to do all that but like if somebody has months things could have happened you could have got laid off anything could have happened during that that two three
0: four month five month period where you're shopping around right exactly so that's why it's that's why we do them um, real time perks of having multiple investors and multiple lenders to work with and multiple products i do most of the shopping anyway so i look at who's going to do the best for their situation and that's who's going to end up, you know, that's who we're going to do their longer.
1: We, t- I think we touched on this a little bit earlier, um, and I talked about it on my last episode. Like, could you go like in a little bit to, of detail as, you know, the differences, key differences between FHA law and a conventional, kind of explain what FHA is, because I think people hear that name, they don't know what that really means. They might have certain uh, perspectives or... Uh, Thoughts around what FHA really means about you if you're doing FHA
0: well. It's interesting, yeah. Sometimes, you know, depending on who you talk to, FHA does have a, a negative connotation to it, but it is, it's a product for a reason. It's offered for a reason. It helps people get in the home. Some of the biggest differences between conventional financing and FHA are going to be down payment requirements, credit score requirements. FHA will allow a lower credit for a property, for a purchase. You know, FHA goes down to, I can do FHA down to 500. You know, minimum for conventional, 620 it all depends on you know again their situation fha below 580 requires a higher down payment 10 percent. you know fha 580 plus you can do the minimum which is three and a half okay so i didn't even know that So i mean those are going to be some of the differences you know and and another factor is going to be you know if you're looking at the minimum down payment you know again fha generally three and a half percent conventional if you're a first-time home buyer you can put down three percent and on you know what the credit score is that's going to determine and factor what your mortgage insurance so mortgage insurance is something that you pay to insure the loan if you have less than t- less than 20% equity in the property. With conventional financing, mortgage insurance has got to be determined based on your credit score and your down payment percentage. So the higher the score, the higher the down payment, the lower the mortgage insurance is. With FHA financing, your mortgage insurance factor is fixed. Okay. They have a fixed factor. Point fifty five percent and uh, so depending on what your credit score or what your down payment is with conventional your mortgage insurance could be much higher or could be much lower than that so that's why we look at both and it depends on what you're buying and how you're buying it too there's plenty of advantages fha versus conventional
1: for those that didn't watch the last episode mortgage insurance that he's referring to is pmi uh it'll show up as pmi if you didn't know if you ever see that when you're looking at a uh what's the what's the document that you guys send out the pre-approval letter or whatever mortgage loan essence, right? So um you'll see a PMI number on there. Uh so that's what PMI is your property mortgage insurance. With it I know with a like with your conventional, if you don't your, your PMI can actually go away if you pay pay the insu- like the principal down to a certain amount. It'll go quicker, right? Mm-hmm. Um is that the same thing with conventional do they have, or do they have different rules on that?
0: Good question. Actually with FHA, your mortgage insurance is you are putting down Less than ten percent. Your mortgage insurance is for the life of the law. That's that's big. But you know, here's the thing, and here's the the realism. Most people don't keep the same mortgage for thirty years. We take, I mean, you need to take those things into consideration when you're buying the home. You know, we look at the differences. You know, and if you put down greater than ten percent with an FHA, you keep it for eleven years. You can, it goes away. If you know, depending on the down payment. But that's why we need to evaluate what the difference is between the two with the interest rate, with the mortgage, with the mortgage insurance, with the monthly payment. To see what's going to benefit you the most you know are you going to keep the loan for a while or do you plan to refinance it do you plan to sell the property those are the things we need to figure out when we go determining that day versus conventional speaking to the
1: refinance and playing to like buy another property selling other properties uh one of one of the audience members asked me to ask this on the last episode so i'm asked you as well like what is really the difference between financing single-family home and a multi-family home
0: it's going to be the income that we can use it's going to be how we find it going to be the down payment requirements so with a multi-family you know becoming a landlord buying an investment property, we can use the projected rental income to help you qualify for the price so you should qualify for a greater purchase price than you would if you were just buying a single family because you're going to have investment or you're going to have, um, income coming in from the tenant. So, you know, we look at, and that rental income that we can use is going to be based on the appraisal. The appraisal will tell us what the market rent is for that particular unit. And we could use 75% of that to qualify. So that's going to be, then, you know, that's going to be big. Um, down payment requirements are going to be different. So, you know, going conventional financing, if you're buying a two unit, for example, your minimum down payment on well, that's going to be 15%. If you're buying a three to four unit, 20%. Now, depending on your income, there are programs available where you can put 5% down up to a four unit, but that's, that's income dependent. So if someone makes less than 80% of the area median income, you can do 5% down up to a 4-unit. Okay. just depends on where the property is. Um, you know, if you're going to find something, just 3 or 4-unit, um, and still qualify for it. With FHA financing, you can do 3.5% down up to 4-units. That's a product that a lot of first-time home buyers that are buying multi-units, they go there. They go FHA financing because they can put a little bit less out, even if they have, you know, phenomenal credit and they could do conventional they may they may want to stay a little bit more cash liquid so a put left down they'll go fha and buy a multi-unit Got it. live in one you know have the tenants don't pay off the others but one thing that is something that a lot of people do not know about is something called the self-sufficiency test and this only applies to fha and it only applies to three to four unit properties so you're buying a three or a four unit property with FHA financing, it has to be self sufficient. And what that means is the based on the appraisal, I showed you with the appraisal, we look at those market rents. Seventy five percent of the total rental income for the building has to be able to cover the entire mortgage. Yeah, that's self-sufficiency. That's something that a lot of people don't know about that comes into play. Only three or four units with FHA. I
1: mean, that's that's important information. But
0: it's, it's a smart way to go.
1: There are two programs I want to ask you about to maybe you can expound on. Uh, one is uh, DCRS. Uh, DC, is it DCRS? DFCR. Yeah, these, that one. I'm that loan, And then maybe NACA, the NACA programs.
0: DFCR, um, Death Center and Ratio, is a loan for invest, And it basically means that we qualify the property and not you, you know, along the same lines as the, the self-sufficiency program, right? So we look at the rent for the property and we make sure that it can cover the mortgage. So it's a, it's a, it's a great program down payment requirements are going to be a little bit higher, but it's a great program for, for people that are investors that want to purchase the property. But let's say for example, you know, it's you're someone that's self employed and you just started a new business. So your income doesn't support the, part, the purchase. You have the assets, you have the money to put down, you have a good credit. We can look at a DFCR because then you can purchase the property and qualify the property, not based on your income.
1: And then uh, the NACA program or like uh, first time home buyers with uh, all they really have is down payment, they have like maybe not great credit.
0: The way that I explain some of those first time home buyer programs is they are a there are phenomenal programs to get someone in the home the terms may not be the greatest but it'll get you in all okay. um you know because a lot of people some people will qualify for a property but don't have the assets to cover down payment right right some people you know again back to what we look at debt to income ratio right so their monthly income supports is but they don't have the, the the assets to to cover their down payment closing costs so we can look at getting them into one of those, one of those first-time homebuyer programs that'll give them the money, okay. but there's always a trade-off. There's always a trade-off. There is, you know, people will argue and fight me on this all day, but there's no such thing as free money. So there is a, there is a reason why it's offered, because, again, I think it's a good thing to get people into homes, but the trade-off there is most of the time it's going to be a higher interest rate, okay. and there's going to be a repayment period and each program is different, but you know, basically what those repayment uh, periods are, if you sell the home or or change the financing within X number of years, five, seven, 10 years, you have to pay back what was given to you up front. Mm. Um, some of them have a restriction where you have to, if you're going to sell the home, you have to sell it to someone else that's using a similar type of program. Okay. So, you know, those are the things again, back to my very first point, have that in it, the phone call to find all these things out. Because again, like you said, everybody's situation is different. That's so, you know, one program may benefit you where it may not benefit me, or one program may benefit, you know, somebody else, but it's terrible for someone else. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but we want to make sure that we look at your situation. Okay, I have income, I have credit, I don't have assets. Or I don't have credit, but I have assets, but I don't have income. You know, we got to figure out what that combination is. And, you know, if it's not the right time to buy, we figure out what a plan in place. Okay. You know, yeah. not everybody that has the goal of home buying can buy today. It may be tomorrow. We may have a few steps to take to get there. Right. That's why, you know, starting early, having that initial conversation is is key. Anything like anecdotal or anything that you want to share with,
1: with the audience before we wrap up here.
0: And not just because I do it, but I'd say the most important thing I can tell people is you get yourself a good trustworthy loan officer. That's going to help you achieve your goals. Um, you know, go into it, go into the conversation with as much information as you can, but also an open mind. You know, I, I, I am a, a huge proponent of, I, I stay in my lane. So if I'm going to someone because they're an expert in the field, I defer to them. They know what they're doing. They're an expert in it. They know what they're talking about. I am not going to, you know, come have a conversation with you and tell you that I know all about software sales. So I need you to do it this way. I have no idea what it's I can I can Google as much as I can, but you are the expert in the field, right? You know what I mean. So I did that that's one of my you know biggest um, recommendations for people is make sure whom you're working with is trustworthy. Again. Do your research, look at reviews, get a recommendation from, you know, from your lender to a good real estate agent or vice versa. But just make sure that you're working with someone trustworthy that is looking out for your best interests and know that they're trying to help you and that, you know, you may not be the expert in that field, in that situation, let them help. All right, man, I want to thank you
1: for uh, coming on and sharing like this information. I think it's very important for people that look like us, but just people in general um, because this information isn't always readily available or people don't know where to go get it. So I think this is going to be very enlightening for some people, but also, you know, just useful information as they're going through their process. That brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, it's another great episode of you know the best pot. Uh so like I said in part one, um, it could be scary. It could be serious like this is a very s- serious thing, but you know, just enjoy the journey. Uh Make sure you're prepared, talk to the right people, talk to multiple people to understand, but make the process of the purchasing journey uh, like a joyful one. I want you guys to tune in to next week. Uh, we're gonna have uh, a very inspiring guest, uh, my friend, personal friend of mine, Casey Richardson of the Blaze Group LLC. And she'll be sharing her journey on entrepreneurship and knowledge on capital raising for startups and businesses. Uh, so as I came to you to say, I encourage you to be your best self, be the best version of you because everybody's already taken. I wish you peace, patience, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, discernment, health strength, resolve. So we meet again, take it easy or don't, but every action has a reaction and every choice for sure has consequence. Peace out.